0: Hello, you, and welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Today, we're talking about Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. We're talking about it with the great Lynn Childress. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I'll soon be joined by my tremendous co-host, Sarah Marshall. Sister Act 2 Back in the Habit is a 1993 American musical comedy film directed by Bill Duke. It is the sequel to the 1992 film Sister Act, and it's loosely based on the life of Crenshaw High School choir instructor Iris Stevenson. The story sees Whoopi Goldberg reprising her role as Dolores Van Cartier as she finds herself coming to the aid of her nun friends who need her help to save her old school. And our guest today lynn childress hosts fine beats and cheeses a pop culture guilty pleasure podcast you can find it where podcasts are lynn's theater company is building better people productions and you can find a link to her work in our show notes how's it going out there everybody how are you doing please let us know at you are good pod on twitter let us know and let us know at you are good pod on instagram I'm recording this introduction from a boat. The team, uh, including Sarah, of course, and Carolyn, and uh, we're pleasantly joined by Jamie Loftus. We've launched the You're Wrong About tour, which starts on the Joko cruise, which is actually an amazing event we're surrounded by incredible performers it's been really great to catch a lot of folks that we know or uh, only know from the internet but really admire uh it's been a lovely experience and so we kicked off the you're wrong about tour here we're going to go to the uh midwest a little bit later this month and then uh to a bunch of different places this spring please check the locations in the show notes if you haven't already there are a few venues that have tickets available there are others that are very very sold out, but we are looking forward to seeing you out in the road. And I bring this up because we also did our first you are good event. We were joined by Josh Gondelman. Um, if the recording sounds good, we'll probably release it as an episode. Just sticking with theme, it was a little less about feelings, it was a lot more about uh Steven Segal because we covered Under Siege and uh it was an incredibly fun conversation. I hope that it is a harbinger of things to come for You Are Good live events. One other little bit about live events. This event that I'm hosting with Woody Shticks called Steady Bad Luckers, where Woody and I tell each other about um, interesting and fascinating losers that history has forgotten because we find that sort of exercise resonant in a way. We find it therapeutic. Uh, We're going to have this fun event. It's called Steady Bad Luckers. Woody is a blast. I think I can be funny sometimes (laughs) (laughs) in a live setting. We are going to be in San Diego on March 16th. We're going to be in LA on March 17th and March 18th. And we're going to be in San Francisco on March 19th. You can find a link to venues and tickets in the show notes. I really hope we get to see you there. Please come and see us, see us tell stories and uh, uh, hopefully make each other laugh and maybe even make you laugh or at least, you know, think about life. Maybe, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You are good is made possible with your support. Thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon or on Apple Podcast subscriptions. In exchange for your support, you get bonus episodes. We recently did a bonus episode about sex and the city. Keep an eye out for your March bonus episode, you yeah, know, sometime in March. Anyway. Thank you so much for making the show possible by supporting us on Patreon and Apple podcast subscriptions. We appreciate you so much. I hope everything is going all right in your world. I hope uh, if it's bumpy, you know, it will go all right again. We're so thankful that you listen to the show. We are so thankful that you help make this whole thing possible. We are grateful to you. We are grateful for you. And don't forget that you, my friend are good. Time to get into the advertising corner. We would like to thank the gay domain for sponsoring this episode. Since launching in 2020, over 18,000 individuals, organizations, and businesses have registered a .dot gay domain name, and they are just getting started. The .dot gay domain is committed to providing a safer internet for LGBTQ communities by banning and taking down hateful content. So, if you're sick of using a domain that doesn't represent you, switch to .gay today. Head over to youaregood.gay to get a free .gay domain name of your choice for your own website or brand for one year. Make .gay your online identity because .com is not gay enough. And we would like to thank Queer Candle Company Queer Candle Company makes small batch soy wax candles. They're hand poured with love. They are a queer and trans owned business. Their candles are topped with a variety of botanicals, including pressed flowers, dried herbs, and zested aromatics. I said it before, but weirdly, I've been a candle kid. I think it goes back to uh, church for some reason. (laughs) It stayed, even though I haven't been to church in a long, long time. But I love candles. So when Queer Candle Company came along, I reached out and got myself a fig and vine soy candle. It fits right in with all of my candle fancy. And I appreciate that it comes from a great company. Queer Candle Company donates 10% of their monthly profits to the Sylvia Rivera Law Project. They sell DIY refill kits online, so any candle is endlessly refillable. You can use our show code, Good" all one word, at checkout to get 10% off first orders on the Queer Candle Company website. So find yourself a candle. Find yourself many candles at queercandleco.com or on Insta and TikTok at queercandleco. Thank you so much, Dot Gay. Thank you so much, Queer Candle Co. for uh, making the whole show possible. We appreciate you.
1: Hello, Sarah Marshall. Go with God, Crispy. (laughs) I was like, I knew I had something, but what was it?
0: (laughs) That was wonderful. So if you haven't read the title, you know from Sarah's reference. Hopefully. The real ones know. (laughs) That we are watching Sister Act 2, my favorite Pitch Perfect movie.
1: Back in the Habit. (laughs) (laughs) And we
0: are so lucky to have been brought this movie. Uh, just a quick reminder, we we have our guests bring us their favorites.
1: Don't disavow Sister Act 2 back in the habit. Oh, no, not a, not disavowing at all.
0: I just, so you know, when someone's like, why didn't you do Sister Act 1? Why didn't you pick it? I'm like, guests bring us their favorites.
1: They're like, I'll be lost. I'll have no ability to catch up on the intricate <laughs> yeah. canon of the Sister Act cinematic universe. I wish.
0: Don't worry, this... This movie follows every beat of Sister Act 1 while acknowledging it's doing it. And I love that. Lynn, who are you and why did you bring us Sister Act (laughs) 2? My name is Lynn Streeter
2: Childress and I am a practitioner, which is a big word. I do theater for for young audiences Amazing. and I write and I direct Amazing. and all of the stuff that I do um, is um about character developing things like empathy and kindness mm. and understanding because that's what we freaking need. And I brought Sister Act 2. Because literally, I dreamt about it. I had brought you another movie and I woke up in the middle of the night. I was like, I want to do Sister Act 2. Amazing. And I will tell this story about how my then, she's gone now, but my 79-year-old grandmother totally shaded this movie. Mm. So you're talking <laughs> about Sister Act 1. So- Like this movie came out only a year after the original Sister Act, which I don't think I remembered, but I remembered it then because it really was like a cash grab. Like, yes, let's do this. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother loved the first one. She was like 78 I think maybe when the first one came out. And so she was like, oh, my goodness. Those She called her Whoopi. Whoopi and the Funny Nuns. Better title. Whoopi and the Funny Nuns. So they took her to see. So the second one came out. It was right before Christmas. They took her to see Sister Act 2. And we were like, oh, my gosh, Grandma, did you love it? And she's like, you know what? If it hadn't been about Whoopi, I wouldn't have cared
1: about (laughs) this. true of like an entire genre of 90s movies i feel like we're like don't you think there was a period when people in hollywood whose job this was they were like okay what are the worst screenplays we have that we still have to produce for some reason and who can we put in them who people love so much that they will kind of enjoy it even though they're like why is the chimp playing baseball or whatever it is
2: why was that a genre though but she's no, it's just about the nuns. Yeah. She had been Amazing. promised funny nuns and she didn't care about these children. <laughs> she was a thumbs down <laughs> for Sister Act Two.
1: You know what? It's a fair point. I did certainly have that thought as well, but I was like, you know, it's. I guess it's nice that the nuns have graduated to a chorus, but truly in my heart, yes, I love the funny nuns. I get this response.
0: I like that, that at some point, Sister, played by Wendy McKenna, mm-hmm. she acknowledges, she's like, Lauren Hill wants to sing, but she's not able to are you going to help her sing like you did for me that time last year? <laughs> like, that happens <laughs> in the movie, and I love it. And I did say to Sarah, absolutely unironically, I would have been fine if they made another Sister Act movie every year for the next 10 years. Like, 30. I loved it. I love everything Kathy and Jimmy says. I love everything Whoopi said. I love this movie. <laughs>
2: It's everything. And what's so funny. So if you haven't seen the first one, but you're starting with this, literally the beginning scene is the whole first movie. <laughs> she recaps it. It's like an opera. Like they recap the
1: whole movie so with true. 60 songs. It's so good. Oh my God. Every sequel should do that. Every yes. sequel. <laughs> In- especially Saw. Because <laughs> also it's perfect because the guy who plays Jigsaw, topin Bell, does sing. He has like Ooh, a folk album.
0: Totally. That would be
1: so good. So it just opens with him as like a lounge singer singing about what happened last time. Yes.
0: And the two dudes that show up on stage in that opening scene... There's a big guy and there's a bigger guy. And it is <laughs> the bigger guy. I don't think I've ever seen a man that large in my life. Like, he is, <laughs> he's the bodybuilder of all bodybuilders. <laughs> I and he's so oiled like that guy's job is to be oiled walk on stage and probably collect a hundred dollar check every night <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what i love about men is this it's like what is our culture you guys what do we do to be straight and it's like well you know We like to jerk off together and we like to watch videos where we watch other guys come and we like to watch other guys get all oiled up and like flex, but it's not gay. It's in fact the opposite of gay. It's terrible to be gay. We just love doing all the things that would suggest we're gay. It's aspirational. <laughs>
0: well, this, I feel like this has set the tone in a way that I love. Uh, Sarah. Yeah, that's
1: true. <laughs> can you take us on a
0: journey and uh, enlighten us as to what Sister Act 2 is all about?
1: Yes, I will try. I will also preface this by saying I realized today, we're, Alex, you and I are having a weird day because this morning at 8 a.m. We woke up and both said, well, now that I'm awake, let's record a podcast episode about Rosemary's Baby with Sarah Archer. So we just did that.
0: The second best Catholic movie.
1: Yes. After this one. Yeah. And (laughs) just to be clear. And then we had lunch, basically. And we talked a lot about Catholicism, as you can imagine. And then it was like, well... Time for Sister Act 2, the other side of the Catholic Church. (laughs) And I was also watching this and I kind of realized I was like, oh, this movie comprises not even this movie, but the soundtrack to this movie and to Sister Act 1 comprise basically my entire religious education because we had I was in religion classes for five years with the same teacher and we sang basically every class and we sang a pretty small list of stuff And it was like Amy Grant, Celine Dion, you know, a few like kind of Christian contempo things and outliers. But then for the most part, it was a sister act soundtracks.
2: So So I several times in my life have directed children's choirs at churches. And believe you me, (laughs) both times we have sung joyful joyful and oh happy day because you have to and all the parents were like yes and the kids were like what I'm like you will be singing
0: this song it's amazing
1: (laughs) yeah and then also in the previous movie I forget what it's called but you know (laughs) No, but I forgot what the song is called. I do kind of remember what the movie. I I believe it's called Sister Act One and the Habit for the First Time. (laughs) No, but the song, you know, the Oh Maria, it's like starts off very Catholic Mm. and then it like gets very Protestant. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I forget the Latin, but you know the. <laughs> it's like infectiously joyful music. It reminds me of the music in Newsies where it just like, you know, I feel like the theme of both of these movies is like there can be settings that reward a particular kind of excellence that's like very disciplined and orderly and about authority and like glorifying God by being like afraid of what priests will think. <laughs> And this movie is like, these movies are like, no, we like to show that we're happy and to perform <laughs> as ourselves in our normal clothes, which I love because I fucking hate. I hate choir outfits. They're always terrible. Oh, I love that. And then as we discuss
2: this, I watched it with my 10 year old and um. His comments were hilarious, and he was like, "Are they going to let them? Bur- is it against the rules for them to take their off their robes?" I'm like, "No, we're fine.
0: That's amazing."
1: In the Sister Act world, we are fine. Yeah, so I mean, the plot of Sister Act One is that Whoopi Goldberg is a singer who's like in the lounge act, and then she is has to be she has to be put in witness protection, right? <laughs> yes. And so they're like, "Okay, you're going to go be a nun." And she, like, becomes their new choir director. And she teaches them to be this amazing choir. And there's, like, Kathy Jimmy, the woman who wants to sing too much, who I identify with. <laughs> and then there's Wendy McKenna is the woman who has a beautiful voice but is afraid to sing. And so Sister Mary Clarence, as she's now going by as her nun name, like, helps her to sing. And Mary Wicks Aww. from The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Little Women. As one of our old nuns. And they just yeah, I love I love those nuns. (laughs) My grandmother had
2: something. Yeah.
1: We need the funny nuns. So that's the premise of that movie. And you know, there's various conflicts. Maggie Smith is the mother superior. And she's like, I'm you can imagine what her role is. I just say (laughs) Maggie Smith and you know. She's like, I'm Maggie Smith. You were wonderful. So Sister Mary Clarence has been freed from the order of nuns, which she like wasn't psyched about, as you can imagine, because you really have to you have to want to be a nun. You know, it's like being a Marine. <laughs> it is weird how like being a nun is kind of the like feminine equivalent of being a Marine kind of throughout history. <laughs> Do you have what it takes to be a nun? <laughs> you're an army of, of nun when you're a nun. Very well done. <laughs> So basically, Alex, well, why don't you describe the opening of Sister Act 2, Alex? Because you really loved how this went.
0: <laughs> I love like this is OK. So this is such a movie that was made exactly one year after the first successful movie. Absolutely. The setup is she's out doing her thing, making money, being a showgirl.
1: She's a headliner, Alex. Headlining. She's a headliner.
0: Headlining, very successful. Very successfully turning her last year into a beautiful show, evidently. (laughs) And the nuns from the first movie show up and with no drama or disagreement are like, we need your help at this private school that we're all teaching at now. And she's like, okay. That's it. <laughs> she does da- like her lawyers there. Who's played by Alden from Murphy Brown, which is great. Or her, mm-hmm. no, her manager's there. Who's played by Alden from Murphy Brown. Alden. Yes. Who needs to, he's like, all the business needs to go through me. You think that that's going to go somewhere? It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. No, they're just are. like we need you. And she
1: goes. <laughs> I know they fucked that up. Where did, where's Alden Bernicke?
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, he's painting something.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: He's went back to painting the living room. Anyway, they they get her they get her back in the habit,
2: right? And I don't understand. They keep saying it's the only school in the neighborhood. I'm like, how is it the only school in the neighborhood?
1: Like I couldn't understand. There's not a public school in the neighborhood.
0: They were like, we have no time to set up this drama. We need to get we need to get her back singing.
1: Well, it's like the edits that the screenwriter had to make like happened in like a really fast phone call. Yes. Like somebody was like. Why do they have to keep the school open? Aren't there other schools? And he was like, "Uh, no, no. just put that in. No more schools. And I, I, think, I feel like we talk about this a lot on the show, or specifically um. I bring it up a lot, how like... If you're not enjoying a movie or if you're not psyched for it, you're like, you can be a stickler for plot. But if you're strapped in and like psyched for the ride, you're like, yeah, I don't care. Whatever. It's the only school. Great. Sounds good. Exactly. Yeah,
0: I never once, outside of just being entertained by the fact that that's the transition, I never once held it against the movie.
1: (laughs) No, because it's really like all of the plot stuff. Okay, so basically, yeah, she like comes to the struggling school and then they're like, oh, my God, they're going to shut the school down. We have to like prove the school's worth by getting the choir really good and then winning the singing contest. Of course. And Sister Mary Clarence has a class of unruly teenagers. Oh my gosh. Which is also amazing because everyone's like, get ready, there are maniacs in there. It's a house of a thousand maniacs. And then she goes in and they're like, singing and doing their makeup <laughs> <laughs> but they, they do glue her to the chair though. they do they do they do <laughs> and this was this was the
0: era this was like from like stand and deliver until that michelle pfeiffer movie like this was
1: dangerous mind this
0: was the decade mid 80s to mid 90s, the decade of like ruthless kids. And this movie is like a parody of that accidentally.
1: (laughs)
2: Yeah. um, So one thing about it though, is that half of those kids at that point were like alums of like Kids Incorporated. Oh yeah. So like Jennifer Love Hewitt and then a couple of kids who were on the Mickey, were like Mickey Mouse Club alums were in this show too. And so it really was kind of like, where the children who sing and act and dance go is to be in sister act too.
0: I love all these kids. Yeah.
2: Not threatening though. No. Just mean
0: like to this point we're gonna get to the growth in the movie obviously but like i like that like a lot of movies like this are about like people with like difficult personalities like learning to like each other or whatever and just like the message of this movie is like you guys are scared cut it out
1: (laughs) totally and there's the guy who's like i'm sleeping in class because i have a job and i'm tired and uh Whoopi is like i don't care
0: yeah mark harman in summer school is a much more progressive teacher i would say because when he was faced with that he was just like it's fine
1: <laughs> i love that movie <laughs> me too i love summer school too i was naturally thinking about that while watching this and it's like i love how summer school is about like what problems do my students have and how can i help fix them yeah and this is like Everyone's problems are just like they have a bad attitude and they just need to be told like <laughs> stop it and then they stop it. And then Lauren Hill is the oh. only character with like an actual character growth thing to do.
2: Yeah, everyone else is like, guys, this is really important. This is important for the school. What are we doing, guys? Like everybody, there were so many lives throughout. Where they were like, okay, girl number one who doesn't have a name, this is your turn to say, guys, (laughs) Come
0: on. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of love that. Like there there is some of the people who rec- who kept showing up. And I was like, I don't know anything about this person.
1: None. It's like Newsies. Yeah. yeah they doesn't. just need like a finite number of kids that you recognize, but know nothing about.
0: Like Alana Ubach. Uh, oh, she's, she's so great. She's yeah. in this movie, but like, I don't know anything about her story. Like, I just know how she responds to things. I was like, that's great. She's here. That's fine. I love it.
2: And the the girl who sings um, His Eyes is on the Sparrow. Uh, with Lauren Hill is do Do you know the band The Warren Treaty? No, Mm-mm. they're a wonderful. Oh, I'll say this. So they're wonderful husband and wife duo. They've been doing a lot of like black country stuff. If oh, you ever wow. watch like country shows, they're like the black people on the country shows now. <laughs> yes, and they're husband and wife anyway. Tanya Blount, who is the one with the short hair, who sings with Lauren Hill in this. Mm. She now thirty years later is in this band with her husband. But if you look up like country. Stuck lately, award shows, it's like her and her husband. They're the
0: black people. That's fascinating. Amazing. It's it's funny. It's like to that point, like, like Lauren Hill's, every time you bring up this movie, someone's like, oh, like Lauren Hill is in Sister Act 2. And I haven't seen Sister Act 2, I think, since it came out. And so I didn't know who Lauren Hill was. So mm-hmm. I just kind of imagined that Lauren Hill's like in this movie in passing. And like, no, it's like Lauren Hill is in this movie. Like this movie yeah. has a superstar in it. In presence.
2: <laughs> yeah. So she had been on As the World Turns mm. before this. So, like late 80s, so early 90s. So that's why we knew her as Kira from As the World Turns, The Trouble Teen. <laughs> From As the World Turns. And so we were like, look at Kira got a movie. <laughs> Come on, Kira. And then that was 93. So then Fuji, the album came out, what, the score came out like 96, right? 95, yeah. 96. So, so not long after. Like
0: minutes after this movie came out.
2: Yeah. So like a couple of years later, it was like, oh, crap.
0: It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Anyway, Sarah, sorry to take so much away from your process.
1: No, but this is all, this is the process, baby. <laughs> Yes, and I will also just point out casting-wise that Cheryl Lee Ralph plays Rita, Lauren Hill character's mother, and she was in Dreamgirls and won a Tony for it, I think. Oh, wow. I don't know if she won.
2: I know she was nominated. I know Jennifer Holiday won, but I don't know if Cheryl Lee Ralph won. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she was the original, she was the Beyonce, if you've seen the movie Dreamgirls. Cheryl Lee Ralph was Beyonce's character in the Broadway version of, Dreamgirls. Wow. Yeah, she's Dina, and she's freaking awesome. And what's so funny is, so you talk about her in this movie, is all the memes that came out. So when Shirley Ralph won her Emmy last year, and she sang her acceptance speech, so in Sister Act Two, she doesn't want her daughter to sing. And people are like, how dare you sing? You wouldn't let Rita go to that choir concert. <laughs> Shirley <laughs> Ralph.
1: So yeah, it's funny. Anyway. <laughs> And I love how that's, like, continuing the tradition of having the parent who's, like, against singing and dancing in the movie being, like, a Broadway legend. And specifically, I'm thinking of the parents in Dirty Dancing being Jerry Orbach (laughs) and Kelly Bishop. That's great. (laughs) Ridiculous. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, Lauren Hill is the only character in this movie who has an arc in terms of the kids. Or really anybody, actually. Because her it's, it's it's a coco type situation actually yes. i was like oh shit coco kind of took the story from sister act 2 oh because yes. her father was like I, my understanding is that her dad was trying to make it as a singer or somewhere in music and he like died trying to realize that dream so her mother is like very anti music is like a thing that takes away from time that you need to spend studying I, you know, more collegey stuff, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think we spoke to this a little bit in the Amadeus episode, but like it feels absurd obviously like it feels absurd to be like like, can't I just like sing a little bit in the mm-hmm. choir like who is it gonna hurt but like this country really is unforgiving yeah <laughs> it's like if you skip a payment you're fucked forever like it's like really unforgiving so like at <laughs> once I'm like alright mom can you chill cause like this is really gonna fuck up your daughter in a really big way but also I'm like I get it this country <laughs> pretends like it has a gun to your head at any yeah. given time or it literally does in a lot of ways so like you know I'm also much closer to mom's age probably older than mom in this case now so yeah that's where i'm at
2: no it's it's true she's like it's just a choir she's like no go book learning
1: (laughs) 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 right angus and like the you know there's a school of thought which does not come naturally to me that your life needs balance and that you will be better at doing your, like, college studying stuff if you have, like, choir as an outlet and, you know, that you're, like, a mm-hmm. happier person as a smarter person, whatever. Yes. But, like, I am so familiar with the mentality of, like, the child must, like, all of their time <laughs> must go to, like, perfecting themselves and, like, music has no place in that, so fuck it.
2: Well, so 10th grade, our school was doing Guys and Dolls and they weren't gonna let me, my parents weren't gonna let me audition because I had failed or gotten a D in chemistry. Hmm. And like I, my sister was going to audition. And it was hmm. horrible and I was crying. And so my parents were like, wait a minute. Let her audition. Because hmm. if she gets in, she has to get better grades or we will pull you mm-hmm. in the middle of the show. And I got to be the next
1: quarter. Amazing. Because my hmm. parents use that as leverage and it worked. I mean, it makes sense to me. Right. And then it's like and alternatively, like if they were to have gone through the original plan, then I imagine that you would have been, like, much less happy. And, like, being unhappy doesn't make you better at chemistry, actually no. gives you fewer
0: resources. <laughs> it certainly doesn't. And
1: also,
2: because my have a twin sister, and she was going to be in it, and I would have been flipping miserable if she was coming mm. home singing Guys and Dolls every yeah, night. Yeah,
1: that's Brutal. Brutal. And then if she wanted to, like, punish you for something, like the material she would have, she would just be like, luck, be a lady.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Oh, Oh my God. But it works. So you can learn from my parents, Shirley Ralph, in a 30-year-old movie. See? But, yes. So let your children do things that they love. And it's hard. I have a 10-year-old. And we go through this sometimes now do we keep him away from he plays the drums
1: mm-hmm. like
2: we were like should he be doing hungry like the wolf it's Totally. let's not tell him what it's about
1: Let's just, no, <laughs> just let's i
0: didn't learn what any of the things i was into were about until oh, much yeah. later so exactly
1: you don't need to know hungry like the wolf is about a sandwich probably yeah. yes
0: mr brownstone is about a guy named mr brownstone
1: there you go not, not heroin <laughs> So what's Sister Act 2 about? I'll tell you. So This is my favorite bit. Yeah. <laughs> so what's Sister Act 2 about? <laughs> so in, in a movie we've never seen before, and I say that because I love seeing things I've seen a million times before, but slightly new, Sister Mary Clarence is like, we've got to whip this ragtag group of misfits into a <laughs> choir good enough to win this national competition, and then we're going to prove that the school needs to be saved so that the children can have a place to learn. And so they go to the competition, Lauren Hill forges her mom's signature on a permission slip, which caused me to be like, it seems insane now that there was a time when like everyone just trusted children to not forge their parents' (laughs) signatures. And like, do we still do that?
0: I got out of so much school. I
1: know. Do they think we can't write in cursive?
0: <laughs> no, when she forces a signature and my son goes,
1: is that illegal? I'm like, probably, yes.
0: <laughs> so much school I missed.
1: God. I know. And they're like, why do they think children are going to be unable to unlock the critical tracing mechanism? <laughs> Or, why do they think that everyone who works at the school has an intimate recall of what every parent's signature looked like? (laughs) Especially when, by the time you're a parent, you probably are signing things in, like, a scribble because you're in a hurry. Right. (laughs) So she forgives her mom's signature, and then at about the same time, James Coburn, who's like, what is his job? He's the boss of this diocese or something.
2: Right. He's like, so Bonner Hughes is the principal, but Mr. Mm -hmm. Crisp is like, the school administrator? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand, but like he's he's not religious. Right.
1: He's not a man of the cloth. He's the only man in this movie with no cloth, aside <laughs> from Eldon. And so at, at the same time that that's happening, he works out that actually Sister Mary Clarence isn't a nun. She's a Las Vegas showgirl. And so he's going to, like, pull the kids from the competition or, like, fire her. And... At the same time, all of the priests or brothers or whatever figure out that that's happening. So they like all barrel down to Hollywood in a rented van, which is just fun. And we finish, as all my favorite movies do, at a singing competition (laughs) or a concert. Yep, Family Von trap. Oh my God, it is. Yes, and they have to save their school by singing. And they're like, wow, these other choirs look so great. They're so professional. They're (laughs) singing the song we're gonna sing. And they're singing it so perfectly and almost robotically when you think about it. And Sister Mary Clarence is like, all right, take off your robes. We're going to go out there as ourselves and you're going to sing as yourselves and it'll be great. And they sing this wonderful infectious version of, is it Joyful, Joyful? Joyful, Joyful. Oh my God. And I remember we, we sang this so much in school and I was like, I want to say that they even had to sing along with the rapping parts. So that's nice.
2: <laughs> joyful, Joyful, Lord, we adore thee. And then I, I put them before thee. Ever since I will, I will come to know that you were the only way to go. I'm telling you, don't get me started. You just kind of did.
1: Seriously. I know. It's like, you just like, you get going. You're like, oh, we might as well just finish this. Might as well just sing the whole thing. And by the way, what what have you done for him lately?
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's the best. So what's so funny is that, so they do the steps from the, what have you done for me lately video. When I was in the ninth grade. So I went to a predominantly black high school and so our high school marching band did for our homecoming shows that you would see like college black college marching bands like big halftime shows where Mm -hmm. you like put down your instrument and then you dance. And totally, our steps were from the what have you done for me lately video nasty video
0: I love that that's what it's pulling from like oh yeah, several years later I, I to, I, exactly <laughs> they're like this works exactly let's do it I do i I we just I mentioned it in passing already, but like I really love and maybe it's just because it's like, you know how you wish someone told you something at a particular time in your life, but you also know there's no way you could have heard it. Mm -hmm. And that's why it it didn't, you know, maybe many people told you, but I love what, Whoopi's character says to these kids, which is like they're gonna leave because the other school has done has performed the song that they're going to sing there, and they're like they've already done it good, they've already done it like great. We can't uh, top that at all. They're going to leave, and then Whoopi's like, "You're leaving because you're scared. That's what you do all the time. You just leave when you're scared of things, and if you keep doing that, you're gonna do that your entire life." And I was like, "Fuck!" Like (laughs) that is. For, like, a fun family movie oh, that's, yeah. like, the realest knowledge to drop on children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's great.
2: It truly is. Well, even the thing with with Rita, uh, who's Lauren Hill's character, with her mom being, like, don't sing. It's out of fear. It was all about the fear that you're not going to do well in the arts. And then you just need to have a good, you know, government job. And then, you know... Right. Yeah, and so yeah, that was that was so fabulous. So yeah,
1: yeah,
0: it's so good.
1: And then they they win the competition, and the brothers <laughs> lock James Coburn in a closet
0: with a sausage.
1: With a sausage, crucially,
0: they cram that giant sausage. Hilarious.
1: And then our three original nuns are there to be like stand in a line, like the Greek chorus. They are and like blow their noses with tissues. <laughs> And Maggie Smith kind of flirts with the principal, which is fun, I feel like. There's an energy, right? Yeah, we agree. Good.
0: I know he has a real name, but he will always be either uh, Blossom's grandfather or the grandfather from the Lost Boys to me. Plays a lot of grandpas. Is my read correct about what happens to James Coburn at the end where he's about to come in and tell the diocese that this has been a fraud or whatever? Yes. Mm-hmm. Basically, Maggie Smith does the what I believe is the most brilliant tactical thing, which is to be like, we were successful because of him and now he should go help other schools be successful so he gets out of our hair. Mm-hmm. Is that what she did?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Because I guess he wanted to retire and she's like, no, you can't retire. She did the nine to five.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's the ninth. She did. She was
2: like, "You can't retire because too many children need you. Go be free."
0: That's some like f- <laughs> f- fucking amazingly evil shit. And brilliant. I love it so much.
1: It's <laughs> I feel like they had it worked out so Maggie Smith only had to be on set for like three to five days, which was very nice of them. Totally.
0: I learned only recently that up until the end of his acting career, that basically like Bruce Willis would do pretty much whatever movie as long as he got paid one million dollars a day. Mm-hmm. And so he, so like if you needed a movie and you could just like sprinkle two days of Bruce Willis on there, it would be like two million dollars, and that's how you get Bruce. Is <laughs> like I like to think that Maggie Smith does that same thing. I like to think she's like I'll show up. I don't care. I just need yeah. I just need the money. So put me in strategically. <laughs>
1: It's just a good business plan, you know? It truly is. It's like this is
2: when you this is when you can
1: book me. This is this this
2: is your budget of me. Yep. Budget wisely.
0: I love that. So what's what's great about this? Oh, I'm sorry, Sarah. Are we done? Is it
1: Oh, all I was gonna say is yes, that's the movie. They win the competition surprise. And then we have uh end credits set to Ain't No Mountain High Enough, the greatest song ever written. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) And if you're me, by the end, you're just like fully dancing because it cannot be stopped.
0: This end also does kind of what Mamma Mia 2 does, Mm. where you have the women dancing with their full hearts. And then you have the three men like you do in Mamma Mia 2. Mamma Mia, here we go again. Just putzing around to music. And I I love that. I love that. This is another thing I'd like to see more of is in the credits the character's dancing in character.
2: Oh my gosh, it's the best. Like, I made my child, like, the movie was over. Was like, no, we're watching this. And you know how when you're watching it, like, on Disney Plus or whatever, and the previews for the next thing is, comes up, mm-hmm. and you have to make sure you don't miss it so you can, like, watch the credits? Mm-hmm. I'm like, we're watching these credits.
0: Mm-hmm. I did the same thing. I was like, go away. I'm watching this credits. It's
1: me. the worst. Exactly. I hate that, like, somebody in streaming must have figured out, like, you know... If we make it kind of almost mandatory to skip the opening theme song and the credits, people won't have time to turn it off before another episode is happening to them. and then they'll spend more time glued to our service and everybody wins. Watch me. I'm a child of the 80s. We I will get up and press
2: stop and whatever and we want and watch me. <laughs> watch me Disney
1: Plus. I deserve to see where it was filmed. I deserve to see who the director is thanking. It's my right. I want to know who voiced
2: Whoopi Goldberg in Swahili. Absolutely. Truly.
0: So, Lynn, why this movie? Um, I know we talked a bit at the the beginning about sort of like what your relationship is with it. But like as an educator in this area, I'm sure there's some stuff that speaks to you there. Did this at all Impact that decision, or like tell tell us about how this works in your life.
2: So this movie came out the year that I graduated from college. So I hadn't yet decided that I was going to be, or didn't realize yet that I was actually going to be an actor. I um, I got a degree in psychology, and I thought I was going to go and get my masters in social work, and couldn't find a job in social work at that point. So I was working at like pay less, and I actually, I think, right before we came home to Maryland. So we were living in Miami. My parents had moved to Miami and Leslie Knight moved there and we came back uh, that Christmas. And about a month later, I answered an ad for a theater that was looking for people to do their touring kids shows in schools. And mm. 30, almost 30 years later, that's what I'm doing and mm. funny, but yeah, I, I, it was just something about loving the first one about just the joy in the color. I was thinking about that. Like, not just color because it's multicultural, but it's literally like colorful outfits. Like, the other movie was largely black and white, right? The first mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. And this movie was just sort of like a breath of fresh air. And I think, I mean, even though, again, these kids were in high school and I was had just graduated from college, I think there was something just familiar about it and some of the songs that they sang, like the His Eyes on the Sparrow. Mm-hmm. which is that version is actually a staple on gospel radio. Mm-hmm. The version from the movie. its was just something just very joyous. And like I said, it reminded me a lot of my grandmother. And and she died the next August, And which is funny. Mm-hmm. A little morbid humor, but it's actually kind of funny. So that year that we saw Sister Act 2, we had come home for Christmas. And my grandmother, who was like was like 79 at the time, made this big dinner. And she's like, this is the last time I'm making a dinner like this. And we go, why? She goes, Cause next year I'll be dead. <laughs> I love her.
0: <laughs> I, she was. And when
2: she died, we were like, wait a minute. She was right.
0: I love that.
2: I don't it was and it was wild. But anyway, it's just sort of nostalgia. There's just something warm to me about mm. this movie. Mm-hmm. And I was in choirs, you know, in church choirs and in high school. Well, actually from since we were five years old, I was in choirs and there was just something very familiar about it. To me, and also to like I said, we I still at that point watched like the Mickey Mouse Club, even though I was a lot older than them, and mm. some of these people were f- were familiar to me. It was just fun, and it was. I think I was at a point in my life where I didn't quite know what I was supposed to be doing with my life, and I was just mm. about to figure it out. And it was just something very sound, comforting about singing children and jeepers, they win. You know, there's just something very comforting about that and about how really no one has serious problems in the movie besides Lauren Hill and she gets it together and I don't know it just felt like home but in San Francisco yeah. where I'm not from
1: <laughs> yeah and I feel like that that's what some of these movies that we love most are like where it's like elements that are familiar but kind of like sliced and diced so it's kind of you can like see them in a new way sometimes as well as being comforted by them exactly
0: Sarah, why is this the format of movie that happens a lot?
1: Because it's always good. (laughs) (laughs) That's why. Like, you can do a really bad job with it, but it's still basically a good time. Exactly. And and the only and I I
2: heard so this last year, year for last, you guys did the Bad News Bears. Oh yeah. You know, one of the few movies where the heroes lose, but you're like, it's still funny. And it and it was fine. Totally. But yeah, but. For the most part, you you know what to expect. They're going to win, and even if they don't win, there's gonna be the better for it because the people who won were jerks.
1: Right. And they're gonna win something. And that you saying that makes me realize that this movie is like the bad news bears and that like the you know, the victory that they get really also is that like Walter Matthau realizes that he's only putting his good players in and not all the kids are playing and he has to let Tommy Lupus pitch Oh! and it's like but if Tommy Lupus pitches then we'll lose and he's like yeah but we have to put Lupus in
0: there's something about like how it works structurally where in the bad news bears it's a baseball game in all of these movies it always takes place on a stage where there's lights and like you can like you know if you have any experience in theater like you can smell the theater like it's like always that's the third act oh yeah and you're like I I know what we're doing.
1: Right, you go to a place. I
0: know how this is gonna go. Yeah, you go to a place,
1: and it could be you know it could be a cooking competition. Totally, it could be whatever. It's a it's a ski race, whatever. But the point is that like we go to a place, and it's like human ah uh, human humano ah uh, humano, <laughs> and in this we get a similar thing where. Uh, Sister Mary Clarence is like, take your robes off, like go out there as yourselves, and like just we're gonna we're gonna do it our way, basically. And the idea of like, I love these stories, which are comparatively rare, where it's about uh, maybe it's not that rare. Maybe this is also a big cliche. I don't know, but I love stories where like the coach teacher type figure is like, we're gonna do it our way, mm-hmm. you know, and we're gonna win on our own terms.
2: Right. So the the one character kid. Uh, Ryan Toby, I forget, that's his real name, but who sings Oh, Happy Day, mm-hmm. who has a killer, killer, killer voice, who's a very, like, Afrocentric dude. Like, I don't think I remembered a lot, too, about, like, how he calls out, like, cultural appropriation yeah. and stuff in this movie. I'm like, well, the I mean, yeah. But this was, but also, too, this was the early 90s where... In college, I don't know if you know that it's a Black thing you wouldn't understand. Shirts Mm -hmm. came out and it was very, like, cross colors. And so that all followed that, even though these kids are supposed to be younger than that, the, why are all the Black kids sitting together in the Mm -hmm. cafeteria kind of a thing. But it was very I don't know. It, I guess I didn't sort of remember all of that. I was like, but this was pretty kind of like current that he was kind of like the Frank A. Yeah, you know, I love it. Who was not a good rapper. I'm sorry, Frank <laughs> A. Oh, my God. It's harsh. I'm like, oh, no. No, no. Mm-hmm.
0: I want to say like, like how big Afrocentrism as popular culture was is that I went to a nearly 100% white school in rural Maine. And there were kids who had... Almost fully shaved heads, but not totally with X from Malcolm X on their heads. White kids.
2: Yeah. Like that's
0: how prevalent. Yeah. Like from like 90 to 94. Yeah. -hmm. Arocentrism as pop culture
2: was. Well, yeah. So arrested groups, arrested development.
0: Yeah. Tribe,
2: yeah. PM Dawn.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Yeah, that's so wild. But yeah, Frank A. I'm sorry. For, uh,
0: yeah, Frank A. was a bummer.
2: No, but he tried, though, but he was. He did. But, I, but, and that's what I love, too, though, is that there wasn't a lot of division. You talked about, like, there not being a lot of, um, diversity of personality in the group but there was not a lot of controversy within the group it was kind of like you ain't want you to sing you better sing this is important (laughs) you should blah 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 but this is important what about our boyfriends and that line he's crazy
1: it's i love how like there's so little conflict in this movie and yet also it doesn't feel padded and it's not super short like it's like a nice healthy runtime like you enjoy it you're never like boy this is taking forever but like kind of nothing happens in it. It's great.
0: Right. Because when you're in school, it's so funny. Like when you're in school, you remember the conflict the most because yeah. it was like scar, like psychically scarring in whatever way. But like most of your time is just like hanging out, being unbothered. Totally. <laughs> so that's what they're doing.
2: Yeah, there were so many <laughs> shots of Lauren Hill just gazing out of her window. Her window just happened to be like looking out into the street where everyone hang- hung out. Yeah, and at yeah. first it was like, oh, I can't believe these people are siding with this nun. And then it was like, oh, I can't believe the people are singing without me. I'm so sad. But there were so many sad Lauren Hill.
0: They're like, how do we frame Lauren Hill's gorgeous face exactly. time and yeah. time again? Let's have her
1: longingly look out a window. Totally. It's a really beautiful adaptation of Rapunzel, I think. Yeah.
2: Totally. With the long hair, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was fabulous. So, Lynn, as a, as a person who does work with... Kids kind of in in this capacity or in the capacity of, of performance. And yeah. Sarah, you uh, have theater kid blood in you and I mm-hmm. have theater kid blood in me. I'm curious. Yeah, I
1: drank it this morning, actually. Uh, ah!
0: Oh, very nice. The, I'm curious, like, why is performance an effective way to get through to kids regarding things that, like, the other scholastic disciplines are not?
2: Mm. So both as participants, because I do both theater with kids as participants, but I'm also, also produce professional theater with Mm. adult actors for Mm -hmm. kids. And um, it just kind of breaks through all of the crap. So as audience (laughs) members, they get to like see it like writ large and like, be a part of it. And it kind of like just seeps into your brain and you get to consider things that you wouldn't consider maybe if they were like written or like preached to you, but you see them in front of you and you're like, oh, and then being a part of it. So many kids, their eyes just sort of light up when you let them be and be silly and Mm -hmm. and say, I don't care if you're good, quote, good, unquote, just like do it. And then it's Mm -hmm. good because they do it. It's, yeah. it's wild. Yeah. Like my kid is not a, my kid is a drummer. He, he does shows because I, I was going to say I make them, but no, because I do them. But yeah, there's just mm-hmm. something about it. And and some kids decide that it's not for them. I don't know. It's just asking people to kind of like be yourself and kind of fit yourself into something else. And it's play. That's how we learn, right? Is through mm-hmm. play. We we're all actors. We've all been actors. We all pretended to be whatever our doll was and we talked to our doll, like it's just the basis of yeah. that's how we learn is through play. And it's just putting it in another medium in a
0: in a different way. The only thing I wanted to say about the theater and or performance and kids is like, I think the first time I took high school serious, not high, I didn't take high school seriously, but the first time I had like a moving experience while I was in high school was seeing drama kids who are slightly older than me do a performance where I knew who they were and I didn't know who they were on stage. Like they were so successful in, right. in going into their roles that I was like, Oh, that, like, I want that. I don't want any of the other things we're doing. I want that. And it was enough of a carrot to keep me motivated in particular arenas to not just completely drop. Out of high school.
2: Mm-hmm. No, that's so <laughs> fantastic is that you can be, so my, I mean, this sounds like such a stereotype, but it's true. But a lot of times my favorite kids to teach are the ones that people say are too much. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, you be too much up here. <laughs> mm-hmm. You go ahead and be too much. And those are the This is a
0: great place for it.
2: That's a great place for it. Use those powers for good.
1: You really can't be too much in chemistry, because then there's an explosion. <laughs> right.
2: Exactly. We can't have we can't have
1: that
0: now.
2: Yeah. And do, yeah. It's yeah.
1: Do we have any wrapping
0: thoughts before we get to daddy's?
2: It works. Well, that's another thing about this movie is that it kind of hits everything. So like my parents grew up in the Motown era. And so that was their music. So I knew that music because of them. And then you get into this, you know, 90s, you know, late 80s, early 90s, Stuff And then my kids see it. But anyway, it's just good for everybody. Like I said, my grandmother loved it because she loved the funny nuns, but she also knew that music too, because that was her kids' music. And then she knew some of the religious music too. And so... It's just, it's something for everybody. It really is a family movie. Like, so I used, I don't homeschool me. I used to homeschool during the COVID shutdown times. I homeschool, Mm -hmm. but I would have totally used this as like a music history credit if we had watched this movie then, because then it was like, oh, Ode to Joy. That's from Beethoven's ninth Century, right? It was like all the, it's educational and entertaining, darn
1: it. Yeah, I mean, it weaves together in a single song like music from so many different generations. Yeah. Including very dead people. And <laughs> it's so great. The one thing I wanted to point out before we start wrapping up is that I love that there's also almost a throwaway scene where Sister Mary Clarence gives Lauren Hill Rainer Maria Rilke's letters to a young poet and is like, this is the book my mother gave to me. And that his whole thing is like, if you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is writing, then you're a writer. And if you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is singing, then you're a singer." And I think that's like the truest thing that you can say about art or anything that you love. And I love that that's just like tossed off in this movie. They're like, by the way, this very, this very profound thing. Anyway, moving on. (laughs)
2: Yeah. It's really a great movie. And I don't know, people knew that they could find sort of like deepness in it, but yeah, the whole conversations about what you're going to be like, I I didn't know, I didn't decide I was going to be an actor until I was, 23. And then I decided I wasn't going to go to grad school. I was like 24, 25. And, and people in my family were like, you know what you want to do? Get you a good government job and get that for 30 years. And then in 30 mm-hmm. years you can retire and then you can do what you want to do. I'm like, no, that's not what you tell a 24 year old who wants to act. Uh, mm-hmm. Or they were like, you should be in the military. I'm like, have you met me? <laughs> I've no." But all that to say, I, w- I went through those conversations and so did my sister, the writer, um mm-hmm. about doing things that nobody else that we knew had done for a living and mm. people being concerned about you, like Shirley Ralph was in this movie, but also harshing your mellow. Right. And not mm-hmm. just sort of like letting you do it and letting you be it. So that that actually sort of spoke to me. Then, even though I didn't quite realize it, because I was about a month from becoming a professional actor, and but now looking back and again having those conversations, it's what do you say to your kids when they're not doing the things that you think they should do? And it's a combination of caring about them, but also not wanting to, you know, dim their stars. It's a whole, it's a whole thing.
0: The whole, the whole thing where it's like you just don't get your anxiety on your kids, or maybe just get the healthy parts on them. It's a, uh, you know, the eternal struggle. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> And as with everything else, as a journalist, like everything you depict will come through your own subjectivity and your own limitations as an observer. And so like there's no way to not do it. You just have to be like very thoughtful and very humble about it. But like you're always just gonna get, there's always going to be some of it and you just have to deal with it. And I feel like it's a similar thing with this, where there's just like areas in life where you're like, I am going to not do that thing. And then for your whole life, you're like, shit, I am doing that thing. Oh, no. And then you freak out and you have to somehow like find an equilibrium of like, I'm doing that thing. Let's think about how I'm doing that thing and how I can do <laughs> that thing to a minimum. Exactly. Oof.
0: All right. So we know that God is the father in this movie. That's
1: so true. <laughs> who
0: is the daddy? Lynn, do you want to kick us off on this one?
2: Do you know, I kept changing my mind about who the daddy was. But I present that Barnard Hughes, the principal, is the daddy mm. And mm. because he is well, he's well-meaning, but often gets it wrong. But at the end of the day, is so happy that his children are happy. And he changes and reverses his previous course because he sees that his children are happy. Aww.
0: That's a tremendous... Daddy selection. Yeah. Tremendous. I'm going to say just for this line, just for this line, my favorite line in the whole movie. Mm. You don't need to bite the donut to know that it's sweet. Mm -hmm. Kathina Jeme as a daddy who also at some point... When the less good rapper, uh, his outfit tears, and she has yes. that electrical
1: tape ready to go, and she pulls it up. <laughs> the bet That is a daddy move. Her
0: her physical comedy is so great, and just every, again, every line. And as a person, again, who's like, you know, when you think about, you know, how, how does the church deal with sexuality in, like, actually, like, a very unhealthy way, mm-hmm. when you think that she, like, acknowledges the sexuality for the kids. it's Yes. Yeah, it's there's these, like... Cool little things that she does that shows a fabulous aspirational energy. Yeah, freaking awesome.
1: I mean, I, I'm left with the obvious selection, which is sister Mary Clarence herself, Whoopi Goldberg, who's just like, like I don't know, what an interesting period this was in movies for her because she just, I, yes. I swear to God, it's like she's given all these movies to do where like she's the missing ingredient, and it's not <laughs> like these are movies where you're like, yeah, they could have used. A lot of other people and this would have worked. It's like I cannot think of a single other person right. this would have worked with either of either of these movies and most of the other stuff she was in. I think
0: you're the youngest person, Sarah. You're like you're the youngest age to know to be aware that that Whoopi Goldberg was a superstar. Yes, a lot of people just know her as being sort of on on the view, but like she was like what she was a superstar for years on the stage, and then was in Ghost and just fucking. Mm-hmm and then the color purple like the color purple the color purple gigantic for a long time
2: and she was in it it felt like a movie a week (laughs)
0: Lynn thank you so much for bringing this movie to us and for hanging with us it was fun as heck it
1: was the best
0: (laughs) that's why we do it
1: (laughs) this is the joy bomb that I needed and talking about the movie like was even better than watching it like he's really saying something
0: yeah for sure
1: so much freaking fun (sighs)
0: All right, everybody, that is it for this week's episode of You Are Good. Thank you so much to Lynn Childress for being on this episode. Lynn, we are so happy that you were able to join us to talk about this phenomenal movie that only got 18% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think that's bad, honestly. I think that that's a bad assessment that everyone made. This movie is a hoot. Remember to check out Lynn's podcast, Fine Beats and Cheeses, the pop culture podcast that she hosts with Leslie Streeter, her sister, who is on this very show talking about widows. We love Leslie so much. We love Lynn. We are grateful to them both for having graced our presence here on You Are Good. Thank you to Carolyn Kendrick for producing this episode. Thank you to Miranda Zickler for editing this episode. Thank you for, uh, reaching out and telling us how you're doing on Twitter at you are good pod on Instagram at you are good pod. Thank you to fresh Lesh for providing the beats that make our transitions sound so sweet. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you for supporting us on Apple podcast subscriptions. Again, you get bonus episodes and you make this whole show possible. We appreciate you. Thank you for everything you do. Next week's episode will be about everything everywhere all at once rare that we do a movie that is newer we're doing it with marie naomi who we adore we had a lovely conversation about this one and i can't wait to share it thank you so much for being here everyone we appreciate you you my friend are good